0: The Movement Church is all about passionate people who build authentic relationships to reach limitless potential and serves Orange County, California. For more information, visit us online at the We hope you enjoy this message from you. good morning. Come on, can we do better than that? Say good morning. Oh, this is so good. I found out that there's a direct correlation to the length of my preaching and how you respond to me. It's so good. So let's try to get good morning. Oh, so you want me to do quick. I get it. Okay, I'm with you now. I also found out I'm kind of like the introvert's worst nightmare. So if you hate to talk to people and we make you turn to your neighbor, it's just like a horrible, horrible place to be. So turn to your... No, I'm kidding. We won't even do that today. We're so glad you're with us, man. We're on week number four of Shades of Grace, a series we're pretty stoked about because it's all about grace. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation, just grace. And we've talked about what grace is. We've talked about legalism versus license. And we even, I heard that Pastor Megan killed it last week with rhythms of grace. Can we give it up for Pastor Megan? Walk with me, learn with me, something and sing a lot. Something along those lines. I don't know if that's the exact rhythm. But uh, we're going to kind of close it out today with what should our response to grace be. And so if you're with us today for the first time and you missed the the first few weeks, and I want to encourage you, go on our website, click the button that says listen, and follow along with our podcast, because you do not want to miss a single episode, right? And I feel like every time we start a new sermon, we got to do like previously on, you know, Sons of Anarchy. I know none of y'all watch that show, but I feel like we got to kind of catch you up to what's going on, and, and what is this whole series about, and What does it even mean and what is grace and how it has to do with me? And I think it really is summed up in one word that the Bible uses called propitiation. And none of you use that word ever, ever in the history of your uh, vocabulary. And it really is simply this, is that God came and sent his son Jesus to seek and to save the lost, that no one is too far removed, no past is too great, no sin is too huge, too immovable that God's love can't make it through. And I love how the scripture really paints the picture of propitiation through the story of David. He's a Bible character, and and he's a Bible character that God said, this is a man after my own heart. And what's crazy about David is David was a murdering adulterer. And so when God says, this is a man after my own heart, that doesn't equate. It doesn't make sense, because God is sinless, and he is all-powerful, all-knowing. How could he say that David is a man after his own heart if he was a murdering adulterer? adulterer, well, that's because when God looks at David, he sees him through what Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. Grace that covers a multitude of sins. And that's what this entire series is about. Grace upon grace upon grace. That every single individual in this room is not outside the confines or confines of God's grace and love for you. And I'm excited about it as we close this series up. And I'm going to challenge you today to be taking notes because I'm going to challenge you with five specific points, five responses to grace. And and we, we are going to pull a little bit of a passage from the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament. And the writer is contrasting and comparing what our relationship with Christ can be like now in comparison to what it was like before Christ. In fact, he uses this analogy in Hebrews of The Mount Sinai relationship versus the Mount Zion relationship. And for the sake of time today, I don't have an opportunity to go into all of the contrast and comparison that the writer of Hebrews is dictating. But he's saying, hey, our relationship is not and no longer bound by that which you experienced at Mount Sinai. And for those of you that don't have a church history, the Mount Sinai represents the place where God came and spoke to His children and said, You are my people, and here's what I have for you, my promises for you. And that's where the Ten Commandments were given, is at Mount Sinai. And the difference between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, which is a new relationship that we can have through Jesus Christ, the difference is so many vast things, but one of them is that Sinai is marked with fear and terror, and Mount Zion is marked with love and forgiveness. The relationship from Mount Sinai, it's in the desert, but Mount Zion is, is a city of the living God. Mount Sinai, was only Moses was allowed to go and speak to God. And he would speak to God on behalf of the people. But now, because of what Jesus did, there is limitless, even indifference to what Megan was talking about. I'm sorry, if you are 100 years old, you cannot go to build her, apparently. She said from 0 to 99. So there's a cutoff if you're at 100. I'm so sorry. You're uninvited officially from build her. But if you're 100, you are accepted in the grace of who Jesus is. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah. Oh, I feel so bad for the 100-year-old women who are just desperate to go to build her, but now you just feel shut down. And Listen, Mount Sinai is all about the law, but Mount Zion is all about grace. And I know for some of you, you don't know the, the contrast of that, but I don't want to go into the detail of Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion, but I want to talk to you today about how the writer of Hebrews sums up that entire book. In chapter 12, there's still another chapter to come, but he kind of sums up everything. He says, this is the grace that we've received from God through Christ Jesus. And he, he comes with this verse. It's found, oh, it's already on the screen. Awesome. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, and it says this. Let us, therefore, receiving a kingdom that is firm and stable and cannot be shaken. And then we could just stop right there. He's talking to those of us that call ourselves Christ followers and he's saying, hey, you've received this which is firm and stable and cannot be shaken. And isn't that a good thing? I mean, listen, there is nothing in this life that cannot be shaken except for what God is doing. Your job can be shaken. Things in your family can be shaken. The economy can be shaken. You're not promised another day in this life, right? There are so many things that are wavering and moving and moving pieces and moving targets. And it's good to know that there is at least one thing that can never be shaken. And that's the kingdom of God. And so what does he say right after that? He says, offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship. With modesty and pious care and godly fear and awe. He's saying, listen, God has given us the gift of grace. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to receive it. I mean, you can't do anything to get it, to get better at it, to earn it. It is a gift that is given to us. So now, let us offer something in return. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about five things that should be our response to grace. Five things that should be our response. I love how the the NIV version of that same verse, it actually says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, what does it say? Let us be thankful. It's saying, since we've received this, let us respond with something. I want to talk about in the next 27 minutes and 37 seconds, the five responses to grace. Are you guys ready for this? Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. Would you just do something powerful in our lives as we respond to the work of your grace in our life? We thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn it, but it is a gift freely given. So God, we give you honor in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, man, that was so good. Number one, the response to grace should be a response of gratitude. A response of gratitude, number one. That right there in Hebrews, he says, Therefore, since we've received an unshakable, unwavering promise from God, let us be thankful. Our first response to grace should be that we have a response of gratitude. I love what Psalm 136 one says in the Amplified Version. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his mercy and loving kindness endures forever. Anytime the writer starts a sentence off with, oh, it's like, oh, oh, that's what I say to Megan every time I wake up. Oh, baby. (laughs) Oh, baby. Right. Like, man, oh, girl, you look good. I mean, that that, oh is like, oh, give thanks. Are y'all tracking with me? The writer of Psalms is saying, It's not enough to just say thank you. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. He's saying, Oh, give thanks. Why? Because His mercy and loving kindness endures for how long? Forever. Holy crap. To my church, I can say it. I dropped the mic, but it's kind of broken right now. His love and His mercy and kindness Endures forever. You have never experiencing never-ending you've never experienced never-ending love and kindness and mercy from any human on the face of this planet. It can only come from God. It can only come from God. He's saying, let's give him thanks. That means that his kindness, his grace, his mercy, it endures through every mistake, every poor thought, every decision that you should have never made. His mercy and loving kindness endures through that in spite of of our weakness in spite of our distractions in spite of our lack of commitment to who he is his loving kindness endures and our first response to that kind of grace should always be to say thank you thank you and you know what that's what we do when we have children and someone gives them something what do we say hey what do you say say thank you Say thank you, right? Say thank you right now. Look at me, come here. And you grab them by the chair, say thank you. And we're like beating gratitude into our kids because a bank teller gave them a dum-dum, right? You tracking with me? And yet sometimes we don't live our life in gratitude for God's grace. Now we might say it with our words, but I believe that grace should elicit a change from just mere words to a perspective of gratitude. That we see life through the lens of gratefulness. Hey, guess what, people? If you said yes to Jesus, this life ain't even about this life. This is temporary. There's a day coming where we'll spend eternity with no pain, no shame, no tears, in the undistracted presence of God for eternity. That's worth looking forward to. So what you might walk through on this earth is just a smidge of frustration in comparison to eternity. And that's worth being grateful for. That's why Paul said, bring on trials and tribulations. Because I know that this isn't all I've got in front of me. There's so much more. And it cannot just be the words that we speak. It's got to shift the perspective, the way, the lens through which we see life. And I'm, I actually believe that we have gotten too good at practicing negativity and cynicism and frustration. And so anything that comes our way, instead of seeing it through the lens of gratitude and gratefulness for the fact that I can take another breath and I have another day and I can can encounter other people and experience the love of God and be the love of God, we see frustration and cynicism and negativity. And we've practiced it. And If you've played any sports, you know that you play like you practice. You play like you practice. And so we practice this negativity and everything that life throws at us, all we see is fear, all we see is shame, all we feel is regret, all we see is pain, all we see is frustration or what isn't happening, what should be happening, what didn't happen. And I just want to challenge you that if negativity or cynicism are your initial responses, then they've become your life lens and it's time to practice gratitude. If your initial response is negativity, if your initial response is cynicism, it's become the life lens for you. And you may not understand grace. You may not understand the grace that you walk in, that is loving kindness and mercy. It endures forever, it's for you. It's time to practice some gratitude. So what are some practical steps? Today, you should go home and make a list of 25 things you can be grateful for. Well, I just don't know if I can find 25 things. <laughs> okay, maybe me and you need to do dinner, and I'll help you find 25 things. How was the car that drove? Well, the air conditioning didn't work. Did it drive here? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's because the brakes are squealing. But, but did it actually get you here? Yeah, so you know that realize, you realize that you're in the top 1% of the world's population because you have a freaking car. Well, you know, it's a Toyota Corolla. Shut your mouth. (laughs) Everybody do this. (sighs) It's number two right there. Your Toyota Corolla is number one and breath is number two. I mean, can we, can, should I go on? Make a list of 25 things that you're grateful for today. Well, you're like, this is just silly, Pastor Craig. Well, wait a minute. You've been practicing negativity for so long as time to shift your perspective. Why don't you write down 25 things you're grateful for your spouse? But well, I can do two. Okay, two's better than none. But I bet you can go three. I don't know. Have you seen his back? It's pretty hairy. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Well, you know what? Buy a beard trimmer. That's number three. Shave his back. My wife's embarrassed. This is my life. We move on. <laughs> number one, practice. A response to grace should be gratitude. Number two, a response to grace should be reverence. 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 I love how this scripture in Hebrews said that we are to worship him in reverence and in awe. What does reverence mean? Simply, it's to have a healthy understanding and response to his authority in my life. Let me say that again. I don't see enough of you writing notes. To have a healthy understanding and response To his authority in my life. Healthy understanding and response to his authority in my life. Hey, look at me. He's got you covered. He's got your kids covered. You don't have to hide your kids and hide your wife. He's got your future covered. Hey, listen. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs on your head, the number of hairs on your head that you are losing currently. He knows everything about you, and he didn't make a mistake. So he crafted a destiny specifically uniquely for you, and he has not forgotten about that. Even though you might be facing financial crisis or a hiccup in your marriage or you're frustrated with college, you're trying to make it through high school. He hadn't gone, "Oh, I forgot about you. Let me come back sometime in a couple of years and we'll see how things are going." No. He He's right there in the process. So just relax and understand that he's got this thing covered. He's got it in control. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world. You better sing. I'm going to preach for like four hours. In his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Come on now. I'm kidding. Stop it. Stop it. He's got it covered. And listen, he loves you. So sometimes we we disputed this in the beginning of this series that he's not a god like a a, a kid with a magnifying glass to an ant waiting for you to make a mistake. He loves you and wants amazing things for you. More so than you can imagine Ephesians 2.20 or 3.20 says he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. These are the things that he has for you. So he's got it in control. He's got this thing covered and he loves you. Remember that our response to grace should be reverence. So acknowledge the role of authority that he plays in your life. And I'm telling you to shift perspective for you. A great question to ask yourself Is this, when I'm trying to make decisions, whether great or small, do I look to him for insight and wisdom first? Or do I make a plan and then come back and say, oh, BTW, God, is this cool? Are you all right with this? Well, I got this thing covered. I know where I'm going and I don't really need his help on this thing. Well, you might not understand reverence. And then the second question to follow that up is, am I obedient to him when he speaks? Well, I don't know if I hear him speak. Well, you may not hear the audible voice of God, but that doesn't mean he's not speaking to you. Hey, listen, sometimes he speaks to a good looking white boy preachers. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, thanks, babe. Sometimes he does. Are you really surrendered? If so, if he said to stay, would you stay? Well, I hate my job. I hate it with a passion. What if he's not done with your purpose and your story at your workplace? Would you stay if he said stay? Would you go if he said go? I don't know. Where am I going to go? What's how's this going to work? And how I don't know if everything's going to line up. And I, there's God. I just I'm not sure. Maybe it's just it's working out right now like this. So let's just leave it as it is. Would you go if he said go? Would you stay if he said stay? Would you stop if he said stop? That behavior is unacceptable. You gotta, you gotta cut it out. No, no, no. You're better than that. It's time. Would you start if he said start? You've been dreaming about a business for years and years and years. Would you start? He said, "It's time. It's time. It's time. Let's go." Would you start? Are you surrendered, right? That's what a response to grace is. God's grace is unwavering for me. His loving kindness and his mercy endures forever. And a response should be gratitude and reverence. God, I realize you got this under control. And now I want to listen to what it is that you have to say in everything that I can possibly do. That's what reverence is. That's what reverence is. Number three, a response should be action. Action. The third response should be that of action. I love what the passage of scripture says in Luke 19. This is going to be up on the screen. It's one of my favorite stories. It's a story of a man named Zacchaeus, and I can sing another song about that if you'd like for me too. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man, a wee little man, named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. Everybody say, aw. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up a sycamore tree. Who wants to sing the song? You kind of do. He climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. That's a great picture of grace right there. Grace is the expression of Jesus reaching out to you. See I think so many people think of God as this idea that he's just waiting in this some like high and lofty place and never extending himself to us but this right here is exactly the way that God's grace works. He looks up and he sees that and he says, "Hey, come on down. I'm going to your house today." That's a great picture. Of what grace is. Verse 6 says this. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. That was the religious leaders of the day. They were grumbled and upset. Because they, they were frustrated that Zacchaeus wasn't as holy as they were. It says, And then this is what it says. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord. Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus was saying, I'm changing my ways. His response to grace was action. Now notice in this story, we don't even see Jesus preaching a four-point sermon to Zacchaeus about what he needed to do. We don't see Jesus speaking up saying, Zacchaeus, man, what's the deal, bro? Let's get this show on the road. Come on, dude. I've been waiting on you. Let's get this thing going. You've got some changes to make. No, he just went to Zacchaeus' house. That's just God's grace and his love saying, I'm here. It is for you. You cannot earn this. It is yours. And as a response, Zacchaeus changed his ways. He was a tax collector and he was known in that community to skim a little off the top and put it in his pocket. And amongst his people, he was an outcast because he was helping the Romans collect taxes on their behalf. And so in the presence of Jesus, he has a response to grace. And it is simply to do this. I am going to give all or half of my goods to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it four, fourfold. So he changes his ways. And then he begins to serve God's people. He changes his ways and he serves God's people. Look in verse nine, what Jesus said. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man comes to seek and to save the lost. What I love about this is Zacchaeus' response to God's grace is what revealed to Jesus that salvation had come. I wonder how many of our lives are reflective of the salvation that we've received. I wonder how many things in our life that we need to change and we've been holding on to hoping that maybe God wouldn't see it or he'd just let that one slide or I just can't let go for right now. The response to grace should be action. Change. Zacchaeus realized, man, I just can't keep doing this. This isn't right. I'm not doing what I should be doing. There's more that I could be doing. And so he changed. The first action step for him was to stop choosing sin. All of us have sin in us. It's part of what happened when sin happened and came into the world. It's a sin nature. But there are times where we choose sin. We choose to do something contrary to what God has for us. And action step number one for you and me in a response to God's grace is to stop choosing sin. So what are the things, look at me in the eyes for a moment. What are the things in your life that you need to change? What's the area of sin that you're holding on to? Or you're keeping it secret and hidden, hoping and praying that no one actually really finds out. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's not just the sin of an addiction. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's fear. Not really being able to rely on who God is and believing Him in His word. You think about pride for a moment. All throughout the scripture, God has worked through some people who had some horrible sin and a horrible past. But he never worked through people who had pride. Pride simply says, I don't need you, I've got this. Look me in the eyes. What are the things that you need to change? If you've received the grace of God, part of the response is that we make a change. Action step number one, Stop choosing sin. Action step number two start serving him. Zacchaeus started serving God by doing what? Serving the people. Serving the people. He said, I'm going to give half of my belongings to the poor and I'm going to pay back the people who I've robbed. He was saying, with the talents and the gifts that I have, Zacchaeus was a businessman. He had an ability to make wealth. And so he said, I am going to help the poor. Those are the skills that I've got. What are the skills that God's given you? What are the tools that are in your hand? Are you serving God by serving his people? It's an action step, a response to grace. Why? Because God's grace is so overwhelming for me. I can't even imagine not helping people see that. Action step number two. Start serving him. Our fourth response is a response of compassion. A response of compassion. I love what Matthew 18, verse 26 through 35 says in the message version. It's a long passage, but hang with me. It's an amazing story. This is a parable that Jesus told. He said this. I don't know if I have all of the actual verse here. I think I actually may have not given all the right scripture. Awesome. Let me just paraphrase this then. Let me paraphrase. You can pull that scripture down. So Jesus tells the parable of a man, a king, who's like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and collect all my debts. I've got some debts out there, outstanding for some people. I've loaned them some money, and I want to get that all back from them now. So he calls all of his chief uh, businessmen in. He says, okay, go out and find out who owes me what. And they brought in everybody, one by one by one. And as was customary there, in those days, if you couldn't pay your debt back, then you would go to debtor's prison and you would work as a slave laborer until you paid off your debt. And so he brought in one man who owed him $100,000. He says, I want you to pay it up, sucka. I think that's actually in the NIV version. (laughs) Pay up, sucka. And the man said, I can't pay it. I don't have the money. And the king said, that's it. Throw him into prison and his family until he pays it back. They'll be slave laborers for me. The Bible says that the man fell on his knees and he began to beg the king, please, oh please, don't throw my family in there. We we don't have it, but I'll work it hard and I'll, I'll do whatever I can to pay you back. And the Bible says the king was filled with compassion. So he stood the man up and he looked at him and he said, you know what, your debt is forgiven. Go and take care of your family. The Bible says that in this parable that that man went out and was excited and just a few days later, found another servant somewhere off in the city who owed him $1,000. And the man who was forgiven looked at the dude who owed him a 1000 and says, hey, you need to pay up, sucka. And the servant said, I can't, I don't have the money. And the man who was forgiven took this servant and his family and threw them into a slave prison to work slave labor until he paid him back. In this parable, Jesus goes on to say that the king found out what had happened. And he brought in the man, paid off the other's debt, and threw him into prison. The whole story, the whole illustration is about the fact that why is it that this man who had been forgiven much failed to show compassion when it was needed most? I feel like the church should lead the way when it comes to compassion. I feel like you and I have been forgiven much and we know that. We know that this life is not about this life. That there's so much more in store for you and for me. But why is it that we fail to have compassion for people who need it most? And I'm not just talking about children in third world countries. And I'm not just talking about act, natural disasters that take place in the nation and we get emotionally stirred and write a check to the Red Cross and make sure, oh, I feel better. I'm talking about our co-workers, our neighbors, and even fellow churchgoers. We get so appalled when people who don't know Jesus act like someone who doesn't know Jesus. I love what a a great pastor in Dallas says, hunters are going to hunt, golfers are going to golf, and sinners are going to sin. How many of you are sinners in this room? Would you raise your hand? But listen, we've been forgiven much, so we've got to be people who show compassion, right? And listen, that means compassion, not just for people, but also the time frame. I feel like we think we should be able to put a time frame on when people should get their act together. And the scripture says, but God is not slow. He's very patient in the process. Not willing that anyone should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I believe that a response to grace should be that of compassion on a consistent basis. In fact, I think the best way to say it is compassion should be the language of our interaction and grace the context compassion should be the language of our interaction and grace the context compassion says hey we love you it's okay to not be okay but let's just work on getting better man i'm so sorry for what you're walking through i know what that feels like but you're not alone we've got a community where you belong you can make it through this and i'll walk through it with you and grace the message of grace always points people back to jesus The message of grace doesn't ever point to a person or an individual. It points to who Jesus is. And I believe that should be the context, the vernacular of the conversations that we have. I believe a response should always be compassion. Number five, I believe a response should be, one of our responses should be that of expression. Expression. The word expression simply means the process of making known one's thoughts or feelings. Making known one's thoughts or feelings. The response of grace should always be expression. We've been saved from much. That God's done something huge and amazing in my life. And as a result, I want to let you know about it. I feel like this is a place where so many Christ followers clam up and fail to do anything. I just don't know how to say that. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to invite someone to church. I don't know how to share my story. Yes, I've been saved from so much garbage in my life. But man, to tell people, I just get a little embarrassed. I get a little bit worried about it. And I just think, man, that's the worst place to get embarrassed. It would be like walking by a house that's on fire and seeing someone inside, doomed to death, and walking away let sounds so harsh, Pastor Kerry. Yes, it is. Because we're headed at life speed towards eternity. And you and I will spend eternity in one of two places. Either in heaven or in hell. And the change agent is receiving God's grace. One of the biggest responses, if not the first, to God's grace in our life should be expression. I share what God's done in my life. It doesn't mean you have to have the verses of every scripture memorized. It doesn't mean that you have to be as eloquent as some people who would stand on this pulpit and preach, but you have a story of God's grace in your life and nobody can negate that. In conversations at work with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your family members, you can just weave in the stories of what Christ has done. You know, the truth is, I get it, man. That's a a rough part about life. And we walked through a financial crisis too. But you know what? I just started being faithful to God with budgeting and with tithing. And I've seen him do something miraculous in my life. And I cannot even explain it. But God is good. You know what? I, I know what it's like to walk through marital crisis. There was a time where I felt like our marriage was over. I wanted to throw in the towel. But I looked in and I said, God, would you just do something in our relationship? And God showed up. Man, we're not perfect, but we're in love with each other. If you'd known us X number of years ago, it wouldn't have even been possible. The response to grace has got to be expression. We've got to share what God's done in our life. We've got to share what God's done in our life. I know what it's like to go through a challenging time with teenagers. My kid had a season, or I was a teenager and was the same way. And, man, this is what God did in my life. Yeah, I know what it's like to have a business that feels like it's on the brink of failing. But you know what? If you just stay faithful, God is faithful. And so what if people get a little bit creeped out by you? Don't be weird, okay? Okay. If you need class, I'm gonna do a class on how to not be a weird Christian one-on-one in just a couple of weeks. I'll help you out. But I promise you, if someone was in a burning house and the only way you could get them out was to wrap them around your neck, and it was uncomfortable and a little painful because their rib cage was resting on your shoulder, they might feel a little uncomfortable for a moment. But to experience salvation would be worth it. Are you tracking with me? Now listen, I love golf claps. They're my favorite. My favorite. It's like when you go to a birthday party and you sing happy birthday, but nobody looks at the birthday boy. It's like happy birthday to you. You're really special, but I'm not going to look at you while I'm singing about you. Um, That has nothing to do with my message. I have 33 seconds. I I can't reiterate this enough. This final point of expression has got to be a part of who we are. And listen, what we don't have the luxury of is just saying, I don't know how, and leaving it there. We have to learn how to get better at this. And sometimes the only way to do that is through trial and error. Just putting yourself out there and sharing. Just maybe even start with, hey, can I just pray for you? You don't have to pray right then. What's your name? Okay, I got it down. I'm praying for your marriage, man. Shoot them a text a couple of days. Of, hey, I'm praying for you. And if they come to you say, please don't talk to me or pray for me ever again, you say, my bad. And you learn, okay, so here's how we should start this next time. But a response to God's grace has got to be expression. Here are the five responses. Gratitude, reverence, action, compassion, and expression. That right there is called an acronym. You're welcome. It spells grace. Which blew your minds, didn't I? (laughs) Gratitude, reverence, action, compassion, and expression. I just want to challenge you for a moment. If you've received the grace of God and these aren't at work in your life, then don't leave today without getting a plan to make this a part of your life. And if these become a challenge, then I'd love to have a conversation with you about what grace it is you've actually received. Because I believe That the love, the unwavering love and mercy and kindness that endures forever, that comes from God, should always elicit a response from us. Gratitude, reverence, action, compassion, not comparison, and expression. Amen. Hey, listen, there's some of you who are in this room today and you say, I don't know if I've experienced the grace of God. It feels like a gap, like I, I feel separated from who God is. And I, I actually identify with people that you talk about with the past. And, and I don't know if I can experience his love. And you know what? I would just tell you the Bible talks about this sin gap. And it says that it's real, that all of us have sin in our life. And it, it does kind of create this space between us and God. And, and it's because of the sin that we have in our life. But the Bible boasts of a radical solution, the free gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ, which is exactly what we've been talking about. God sent His Son, Jesus, to live on this earth a perfect, sinless life and to die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And it's a free gift. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do that you can try to work towards. You can't erase your past enough. It's just a free gift. And all you have to do is receive it. You say, you don't understand my past, Pastor Kerry. You don't understand where I've come from and what I've been through. And you know what I'd say? You're right, I don't. But he does, and he still has given a free gift for you and for me. What do I have to do to get this gift? It's simply this, just to say, Jesus, I give you my life. And in just a few moments, I'm going to pray a prayer. And right where you're seated, in your seat, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. You don't have to pray it out loud. But I'm going to ask you to repeat that prayer after me in your own heart. And I believe that God will come and radically change your life. Things won't get perfect. But you can experience grace that you've never experienced before. Experience the sight of God that you've never experienced before in your life. And I think it would be the beginning of something brand new for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around this room today. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer, then just repeat this after me in your own heart. And if you're here today and you've been running from God, today is the day to come running back. To say, God, I just want to give you my life. I want to recommit my love and my life for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around. Just in your own heart, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me, that you've given me purpose. But I've got sin in my life. Would you forgive me? Thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin. And just repeat this phrase after me in your own heart to say, Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for joining us today. Find out more about us at OCmovement.com. or we'd love to meet you in person this Sunday. Until next time, Orange County.